Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. The only way that humans can have a peaceful and collaborative society is by having effective conversations. However, in an increasingly polarized and complicated world, having difficult conversations that result in deeper understanding is challenging. It is more important than ever to learn to have constructive conversations. My guest today has extensive experience on this topic, both personally and professionally. Catherine Clark is an internationally respected broadcaster, writer, MC, and co-founder of the popular podcast, The Honest Talk. She also runs Catherine Clark Communications, a consultancy which provides strategic communications advice and support to institutions, corporations, and individuals. Catherine has spent her entire life observing and conducting meaningful conversations, as the daughter of former Canadian Prime Minister Joe Clark and the prominent lawyer Maureen McTeer, Catherine grew up observing her parents have meaningful conversations with diverse groups of people across the country and around the world. And in her professional life, Catherine leads engaging conversations through the television shows, documentaries, panels, and events that she hosts. I'm thrilled to have her on this episode to discuss this very important topic. Thank you, Catherine, for joining me today. I am thrilled to be able to have a conversation with you. Thank you. And it's such an important topic to talk about and something that you have so much knowledge and experience in. But before we jump into how to have a constructive conversation, which we all need to reflect on and be be continuously better at, can you think back and think of an example in your life of a really interesting conversation that you've had in your life that stands out? Oh my gosh, I've had so many really interesting conversations. Sometimes I find the conversations with regular Canadians, regular people to be some of the most interesting because there's no expectation on their part that you're trying to get anything out of them or go anywhere with the conversation. I have to admit that I started having conversations my husband thinks I was born talking, but <laughs> I wasn't. But um, I've had conversations since I was a child. Um, I have been put into situations that just required me to converse with people because my parents had a fairly public life and therefore I did too. I remember quite clearly one of the first conversations I had with a particularly well-known person was the queen. <laughs> and we were at an event in Vancouver And the protocol with the queen is that you may not exit the room before she leaves the room. Mm -hmm. So she came into the room. I was near the door. It was a cocktail party. um, And I spent a lot of my life at adult events as a child. And she zeroed in on me as a child and said, and what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here with my parents. And she said, and why are you not in school? And I said, well, because I told them I was coming here to this summit. And they thought that was pretty good. And uh, she said, all right, well, you know, enjoy your evening. And She did the tour of the room and then she came back to the door as she was leaving. And I was sitting on a chair as a very impatient, like eight year old. (laughs) And uh, she said, and you're still here. And I turned to her and I said, I don't even know that I stood. (laughs) And I said, "Um, 
well, I can't leave until <laughs> you leave. And she said, well, let's go then, shall we? Oh, and so goodness. we left the room together. And that was actually an important conversation for a couple of reasons. One, because as a child, it showed me that it didn't matter who the person was. Mm-hmm. You can engage in conversation with anyone. It also taught me that you shouldn't take things for granted. I shouldn't assume that the queen is unapproachable just because she's the queen. But also that as a child, it probably also taught me when I was potentially reprimanded by my parents later (laughs) that, uh, you know, you must always be extremely respectful. Yes. (laughs) And that's a good lesson for all of us to learn. That's fantastic. My goodness. I mean, for so many reasons that uh, that must resonate very clearly in your mind, that event. Yeah, I remember it really clearly. (laughs) That's amazing. What a great memory. I mean, as you said, throughout your life, you have witnessed and led also very important conversations with very diverse groups of people. So how have you seen the nature of conversations change over the years? You know, I think conversations have changed a lot recently Mm -hmm. that we now live in an age where we are re-examining so many things. We're examining identity in terms of things that we took for granted before gender re-examining how we speak about people with diverse backgrounds or racialized people. We are re-examining, I mean, even if you look back at the words that we use to describe specific communities, non-Caucasian communities, those definitions are changing and now becoming reflective of what those communities expect or demand or request Mm-hmm. as opposed to the the names that we may have used in the past or mm-hmm. labels. And so there's a caution to many conversations now as we try to find our footing in this new world and right. be respectful mm-hmm. and be inclusive. I think that's really important. It's actually critical, but it's also a learning process. We really are in a conversational learning process right now. Hmm. And it's such an important thing in order to work through that to have conversations and to have good conversations so that we can all improve and understand each other. That's an excellent point. So what do you think is important for people to understand about how to have a constructive conversation? I mean, we all have conversations every day, but it is a complex world. It's so important for us to be united and understand each other, even if we don't agree with each other. What do you think people should really reflect on and understand about how to have a constructive conversation? There are a few things. I think empathy is very important in a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's important to approach a conversation with empathy, especially if you don't necessarily agree with Mm -hmm. the person who's speaking. That's going to happen a lot in, in the course of a life that you're going to be faced with a stranger or a close loved one who doesn't agree with you. And so the the importance of empathy and then respect for their opinion, you know, respect only goes so far sometimes if someone is willfully ignorant or insulting or aggressive, then that's not a constructive conversation whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But if someone just has a different opinion from you, they're allowed to have that opinion and you have to respect that fact. So empathy and respect, but also listening. A lot of times we go into a conversation with a very set idea of what we think we want to get out of it. It's important that we remember a conversation is a two-way street. 
Mm -hmm. And that you do need to actively listen to what the other person is saying, but also if you can to watching how they're reacting, if you have that ability or listening for changes to the tone of their voice, which might suggest their emotional date, frankly, Mm -hmm. their emotional reaction to what they're saying or you have said. So listening is kind of a whole sensory element to a conversation too. And it's often so difficult to do that when you don't agree with the person, when you think that they're categorically wrong or you completely maybe don't like them or disagree with them. But even more important in those situations to stop yourself to listen. And as you said, pay attention to the body language, tell so much. What kind of tricks have you learned or what kind of things have you seen over the years work for people in these situations? Your instinct is that you just disagree. You want to give your point out. How can people remember to have that empathy? Yeah, it's not easy. And it's a work in progress for most of us. Mm -hmm. I suppose probably the simplest thing to do is to take a pause. Instead of reacting super quickly to what someone has said, maybe take a little pause and formulate your thoughts. And you can create a, um, a buffer to your pause so that it's not just making the other person feel uncomfortable. But for instance, you can say, what an interesting point. I'm not sure I thought about it that way. Have you thought of this? Or I'm not sure I agree with you. In fact, Mm -hmm. here's why I respect your opinion, but my experience has been Mm -hmm. so that you're not launching in because we've all had conversations with people where you say something and you may even just be in the middle of saying something and someone just jumps down your throat and says, that's, (laughs) that's not right. Or you've got me wrong, or you don't understand And right then and there, the conversation is pretty much dead in the water. It's turned into a fight. Yes. And we're trying to avoid fights if we can. (laughs) Those are not constructive. (laughs) No, it's a very good practice to have to learn to breathe. That's good advice in so many situations just to take a deep breath. So what are some of the key learning experiences that shaped how you approach conversations? And uh, you certainly said, I'm sure you were very closely told how to behave with the queen before (laughs) by your parents and afterwards. And your parents certainly, you know, I'm sure taught you a lot, uh, both watching them and them guiding you. What are some experiences that really shaped you in learning how to have constructive conversations, both personally and in your professional life? Well, you're right that growing up watching people uh, like my parents engage in conversations my entire life was key because the conversations in which they were engaged crossed all spectrums. I relayed the story off the top of having a conversation with the queen, but I also spent a tremendous amount of my life traveling around in the back of a car through extremely rural parts of this country, Mm -hmm. talking to very regular people Mm -hmm. about their lives, their daily lives and the challenges and opportunities that they faced. So having that opportunity was probably seminal for me because it allowed me to just see the great diversity of this country and this world Mm -hmm. and that people exist in very different circumstances, but that overall, we, again, going back to some key things, just want to be heard. We'd like someone to listen to us when we have something we need to say, or that's important to us. We would like to be treated with empathy again. We would like to be treated with respect. And frankly, we would just like a little bit of kindness. And kindness means taking two seconds to stop and talk to someone. Those are the things that I learned early on. And then as I got older, I also learned how important it was 
never to assume that you knew the story of the person to whom you were speaking, because every person has some kind of a story. Every person has an experience, positive or negative, that's shaped them. Every person has contributed in some way to the world in which we live. Every person has particular interests or concerns or likes or dislikes. And it just involves talking to them and asking them about themselves to create a, a bond. A conversation really is the gateway to a bond between two people, especially if it's handled well. That is definitely very important. Has there been an experience in your professional life that changed the way that you approach these conversations? Maybe not um, that changed the way I approached them, except in terms of what it did. So one conversation I had in my early 20s in a rural part of Nova Scotia, a conversation with a, a gentleman who was very quiet and unassuming, very pleasant. And he just told me his first name, which was Alex. And I, you know, I, I probably made an assumption, just a nice, nice guy, maybe a farmer, lovely to have him here. Isn't that great? And went on with my handshaking. And, and you know what? A political upbringing, unfortunately, means that you don't often get to spend a ton of time with each person. Mm -hmm. You're moving through a room quickly. You try to make a connection with people quickly, but you also hope it's a genuine connection. So I'm moving my way through this room. And afterwards, I reflected on the gentleman in question and realized, because I have a degree in art history, as I put two and two together about location and appearance and such, that the person I'd been speaking with, this gentleman, Alex, was actually Alex Colville, who is, mm -hmm. was one of the country's, at that time, greatest living artists. Yes. And it really reinforced to me the incredible importance of not ever assuming that you know someone's story. Yes. And always, and I know I keep coming back to this, but I just can't emphasize respect enough mm -hmm. because you can't assume that just because someone is either super important or in a very rural setting that they are really as human beings any different from each other everyone deserves the same level of respect and it comes through in a conversation and again it builds a bond of trust between two people absolutely it's so important and even when you think you know someone yeah you so often realize good point kinga you didn't know so much so always question and always come to it with empathy because it, it is really true at your dining room table with people yes. that you think you know or in your professional life when you're trying to have some kind of collaboration. I totally agree with you. I mean, how many times have we had situations where you might speak to your mother or your father or your mm -hmm. grandfather, yeah. uh, even your spouse, mm -hmm. and you learn something from them that you never knew about them before, about their own experience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's eye-opening. Yes. And in fact, many of the conversations that we don't have are with those closest to us because we do just assume that we know them. Absolutely. And so many of the problems with people closest to us come out of not having constructive conversations as well. It's, it's certainly a topic that is important for us to reflect on and continuously think about and improve because a lot of good, but not having good conversations, a lot of bad can come out of it as well. I think that is an exceptionally good point too. And I loved hearing how growing up, uh, you were saying that you were brought to so many different events and in so many different circumstances. And I think that really raises the point of children being exposed to a lot of different types of people and adult conversations and having that intergenerational experience that is sometimes becoming less and less. I agree, but you're right that it's changing and it's harder. And that's one mm -hmm. of the problems that conversations face too, because exactly. 
you know, if I look at my own children, they spend a huge amount of time on a screen. Most of the time they're having conversations, Yes. but they're having highly abbreviated conversations Mm -hmm. with a wide group of people who are generally quite similar to them. And they're not really using real language all the time. (laughs) They're using these crazy abbreviations and emojis. And, and so that too, I mean, rather than lamenting it, it is what it is. But that too is going to have a profound effect on conversations as we move forward. Because mm-hmm. even you and I today are, are speaking essentially through a screen. And that has become the norm in mm-hmm. 2020, 2021. We are, because of a pandemic, forced to have almost all of our interactions through screens. Mm-hmm. And some people are really uncomfortable with that. They don't feel the ability to, they're worried they're going to mess something up. They're worried that, uh, they're worried about their, maybe their appearance. They're worried about, you know, if they're on mute or not. (laughs) And so these affect how we have conversations. And if you are someone born in 1940, your comfort level potentially with having a conversation through a screen is going to be really different Mm -hmm. than uh, someone who's, 15, 16, even 40. It's a fascinating time for conversations because it really, they are in complete evolution. Yes, it is absolutely true. And and that is a big factor actually when we are using technology that so many people are not comfortable with it, don't know how to use it, maybe don't have access to it, which is problematic. What do you think should be an approach taken by parents or individuals in being able to develop their skills and being able to develop their skills, especially when, as you're saying, so many teenagers are more siloed in talking with their peer group and talking in very different ways, which is fine, but to diversify and to develop the skills of talking to different people, what what steps should be taken? So I do think that if you can expose your kids to as many different circumstances and situations as possible that you should, Mm -hmm. I understand really clearly that not all people are comfortable in social settings Mm -hmm. and that's perfectly fine. And that's a reality for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. But I also think that if as a parent, and hopefully once we get out of this pandemic, you can expose your kids to different conversations, that is key. So are things like exposing your kids to different viewpoints through the news. It drives my kids crazy, but we listen to the news a lot. And that's a conversation driver too, right? Like, why did that person do that? Or why is that leader a dictator? Or is Mm. that leader a good person? Or, um, you know, why is this environmental disaster happening here? Mm -hmm. Those generate conversations and help children create their own sets of ideas and ways of of thinking and problem solving. Um, And those are necessary for conversations as well, because as you listen to someone, you also, you develop questions and then you want to ask those questions. And at the basis of it, that is what a conversation is. You've said something, it interests me. I'm not sure I'm going to ask you. And then the cycle continues. And so if you can expose kids to as many different situations as possible, you flex the muscle, Mm -hmm. you develop the muscle for conversations. Absolutely. That is so important. And it's important at all age groups. I love that you said that you do that with your children, with the news who are in their teen years. And actually research shows that for young children, when they're 
absorbing and watching, interacting with educational media, the learning actually is exponentially greater if they're co-viewing that with their parents or their guardian or, or an adult who has those conversations of what did you take away from it? How did you like it? What did you understand from it? And having that conversation, it's, it's at every age group, it's such an important thing. And I really like what you said that you're doing that with your teenagers. And especially now with the news, it's even more important every time something really big and stressful is happening to be asking your children and develop those skills of conversation in the household. Yeah. And empathy too, though, because, you know, I'm, I'm super aware of the fact that the experience that I'm describing, both of my childhood and in the way that I am privileged enough to be able to raise my children, it is one that is based on the ability to make choices. Mm -hmm. I have the ability to listen to the news because I have a system in my house that lets me press a button and the news comes on through mm -hmm. a speaker. I am cognizant of the fact that I have high-speed internet so I can look online at the internet. I'm cognizant of the fact that my kids have devices. Those are not the realities of a lot of parents or children. But on the other hand, that doesn't mean that there isn't also the opportunity for them to engage in very real conversations as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is part of the problem created by the pandemic that their opportunities for having widespread conversation are more limited by the fact that we can't go out the way we are accustomed to doing. Absolutely. That's definitely been highlighted that the, the diversity and access is really, really starkly different. So people do need to keep that in mind. And, and that's a very important point. And as so much of our conversations are happening online, so much of what's happening in the public sphere, conversations are becoming more and more polarized and abrasive in society. The other extreme is that there's also a lot of fear in people of having honest and constructive conversations. And this has been really percolating to the forefront in the recent years. So how do you see fear changing our conversations? I really worry about how the impact that fear has, mm -hmm. because we are fearful that through one misplaced comment, we could in fact ruin a career. I think fear has a useful purpose. It reminds us to think carefully about what we're going to say and why we're going to say it and if it needs to be said. But we also have to be careful to remember that this is a learning time and people are coming from different places mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their understanding of how something they say may hurt someone else and the fact that it may be purely unintentional. I've seen studies, for instance, and this is just related to women, that the Me Too movement, which was an incredibly important movement and allowed thousands of women to feel safe coming forward with stories they previously felt either too ashamed or too scared to share. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that, the flip side of that is that then you had a series of men who may previously have acted as mentors who were too scared about what might happen to them if they said the wrong thing or hmm. were perceived as doing the wrong thing mm -hmm. to stop mentoring, to not engage in the kinds of conversations that they might previously have done out of fear that they might unintentionally do something wrong and, and ruin their own careers. And then who loses out of that, but the women who were being mentored. So that's just one example of how fear really is having a, a, a big impact on the conversations we're having. And I can't say that I have an answer for when we're going to come out of that. 
I think you just have to approach conversations with the knowledge that at all times you must be as respectful as you possibly can. And if you don't know something or you are concerned that you may say something inappropriate that you say, I hope you will tell me if this is meant as an open conversation. Mm-hmm. If I say something that upsets you, I hope you will tell me because it's unintentional and I'm learning too. And as long as you make that clear that this is a learning process, then hopefully there's also forgiveness that, okay, my job here is to help educate in this conversation. And this person who I'm speaking with is learning. I, I can't just be angry at them. They're learning. My job is to help educate. On the other hand, a lot of people are like, listen, I'm done with the education piece. If you can't figure this out yet, then like, it's not my job to help you. But we do just need to have that little bit more, I think, still willingness to understand that a lot of people are are truly trying their best. It's just, it's new to them. And if we can approach conversations from a place of attempting to understand rather than to assign blame, that's probably the best path forward. But boy, we've had a rocky few years. and, And I have to say that things in the United States in terms of leadership didn't make that much better and in other parts of the world too. And it will take us a while to recover. Mm. And, and definitely moving forward. I mean, as the world becomes more and more complex, this is not something that will come to an end. We always need to come to a conversation with empathy, with some level of understanding that maybe the person isn't out to hurt, but to try and question and to provide information so hence why conversations are so important, because our world is not going to get simpler. But hopefully we will be getting better at uh, realizing that we need to be sensitive to other people. Yeah, We don't understand necessarily where they're coming from and always question and always have empathy to that. Well, and if I could just say, I can go that I think it's evident to most of us when someone is being willfully ignorant mm. or disrespectful mm-hmm. and when someone is just perhaps misinformed or not currently informed. And in that case, that's when we really have to try to put the empathy hat on. Mm. Because so um, one of the conversations that I had most recently for the podcast that I host was with Annamie Paul, who's the leader of the Green Party. Mm -hmm. And she notes that she faces racism pretty much all the time. And she's had to be very careful about how she raises her children because she wants them to understand that they need to be respectful in conversations, but that they do not need to tolerate Absolutely. Um, hate. They mm-hmm. do not need to tolerate it. And, and they are also Jewish. They do not need to tolerate ignorance. I do think that most of us are able to tell the difference. And so that's an important key to, to, to bring that to conversations. Absolutely. Very, very, very important. And so what advice would you give to people on how to start having more constructive conversations, both publicly and personally? I mean, you've already said, come with it with empathy. I mean, hopefully nobody wants to be deliberately mean, but when you are deliberately ignorant or insensitive, obviously that's a different situation. But how would you say people should come to have, try to have a constructive conversation? Well, I think start by trying to find commonalities, expressing genuine human interest. I think we underestimate how much that, how are you today, actually means to someone, because it's entirely possible that they're absolutely great. 
It's also entirely possible that they've had a really terrible day Mm -hmm. or a horrible thing has happened to them. And being able to say off the start of a conversation, actually, it's been a bit of a challenging day, allows you as the other person in the conversation to know, okay, that's good information that I now have about this person's experience. They may need a little bit more time, or I may need to ask a few more personal questions, or you just, that it allows you to express your humanity towards that person. That really mm-hmm. does create a bond right off the bat. If it's a tough conversation, I find it's really helpful to start with those human elements. How is your family? How are your children? How is your mother? Whatever the case may be. Those allow people to focus on something that generally makes them happy or feel safe and comfortable. Mm -hmm. That's important in any kind of conversation, but it's especially grounding in, in a tough conversation. If you have to deliver difficult news or bad news, or you're doing staff review, or you're talking about a project that may not be going so well, I always try to focus on not being accusatory or aggressive but instead asking the other person in the conversation for their thoughts and input. I'm not sure that this is working 100%. What do you think? And that allows them to say, yeah, you're probably right. There's a problem here. Or maybe I didn't do my best. Yeah. Or I know I didn't do my best, but I, I would like to explain why. Yeah. So that you're coming at this from a place of encouraging the other person to share their thoughts. You're putting your thoughts on the table yourself, but in a way that is respectful and kind. And that just creates a sense that you're in it together mm-hmm. as opposed to being adversaries. Now, that's assuming you like the person you're talking to. <laughs> yes. If you don't like the person you're talking to, then you just got to try to take yourself out of that equation and take your emotion off the table. And that is so hard, but you've really got to try to do it in the interests of professionalism or if it's a personal conversation, but still with someone you don't like in the interests of just not making the situation a lot worse. Yes, no, absolutely. And which brings to mind what you said before, when people are willfully, it's not ignorance, it's not a misunderstanding, they're deliberately being mean spirited. How do you deal with that? As you said, now you kind of try to step away. But how do you try to change that into a constructive conversation? It's, um, again, the taking a little second or two to collect yourself is is really important. I'm the type of person, perhaps from my Irish heritage, (laughs) where I'm like, and this is how I parent too. I'm super, 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 you know, happy and calm, and we're all going to get along. And this is going to be so great and amazing, possibly (laughs) the most great and amazing ever. (laughs) And even if we're just going grocery shopping. But if you push me a little bit too far, I will completely lose my <laughs> cool. I'm gone. Boom. But then it's over. Um, right. On the other hand, that's not helpful in a conversation. No. <laughs> and I have had to work at it because, and, and I'm not saying I'm always successful in my personal conversations. I'm much more open about how I'm feeling. I may be very direct with my husband mm. in a way I would never be with the person who butts in front of me in a ski line. Yes. But, you know, the conversation in a very tense situation just has to kind of bring back to, this is probably not about me. Mm -hmm. This is probably not a personal insult. Mm -hmm. This is just either a personality clash or a difference of opinion. And it's not going to get better if I start yelling at this person. 
it's not going to get better if I tell them they're a complete moron. <laughs> That's not going to make this better. What is going to make it better is if you just say that really frustrated me. I, I think I may need a little bit of time. Perhaps we can revisit this conversation at another point. Or what you just said, I found very offensive. Don't be afraid to use specific polite words that illustrate how you're feeling. Because it will help someone to see that it will help someone to understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But, you know, a real key thing is if you are seriously angry, you're probably not going to have a great conversation anyways. And that's a good time to say, let's come back to this, stick a pin in this, let's come back. Because again, anger is just going to make things a lot worse. I had a girlfriend, I have a girlfriend who's, who taught me a valuable lesson when she said, Never respond in any situation as much as you can avoid it in anger. If you read an email that upsets you, if someone says on a, on a phone call something that upsets you, just don't respond right then. Just take some time and deal with your emotions and then come back to it because emotions are powerful things and they can derail conversations real fast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a really important thing to keep in mind, especially in person, because it's so easy to just respond. But I like what you said that you say what you're feeling, you say what your reaction is, but you walk away from the anger and come back to it another time to make it constructive. And, uh, and I suppose in online conversations, which we have more and more frequently, maybe that's a little bit easier sometimes to, to walk away from, but is there a different type of strategy or something unique about online communication that you think is important for people to understand? I think online can be even tougher because in person, Something in our head says like, oh my God, I, if I do this, I might really embarrass myself for people around me or I might right. jeopardize my job. And in email, and I've had to train myself to do this. Don't respond right away. Just mm-hmm. don't respond if you're upset. Take some time and then respond. I understand time sensitive. Like if someone says I need an urgent response, but just be very cautious because it's so easy to fire off a text. It is so easy to hit send on that email. And uh, that can have devastating consequences on, on your professional life too. Yes. Um, so apply the same principle, Just take the emotions out of it, give it some time, calm down, revisit it then. I mm. guess the trick is really to remember these good principles in the moment. Yes. You don't ruin conversations and you don't ruin right. relationships. You just got to go, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. I can do this. <laughs> very important. I can put my big boy or big girl pants on. I know I can do this. <laughs> yes. Very important. And it's yeah. a good reminder. All these <laughs> strategies are a good reminder. And it's wonderful to hear from you from your vast experience and having very rich, constructive, wonderful conversations. So I really enjoyed hearing that. But before we end, I just wanted to ask if you would like to share a recommendation of something to listen to or read, something that inspires you in this topic. Yeah, I always get stumped with those questions because there are so many books that I love, so many movies I've seen, which I found inspirational. What I might come back to, though, just because... I mean, it's a super old movie, which most people haven't ever heard of, but I grew up with my dad, highly, highly involved in the anti-apartheid movement. And apartheid was a seminal moment in history for me as a young person, because it was the first time that I actually realized 
the level and the extent of cruelty that human beings could exhibit towards each other. And so there was a movie that I saw um, when I was probably about 12 years old called A World Apart, which told the story of a, a journalist and his family in South Africa. And anything that you can watch or read that makes you uncomfortable, that shows you another side of the world than the one that you're comfortable with is, I think, very important. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make you want to sit down and, you know, immerse yourself in it. But reading or watching something that's uncomfortable for you, I think is, is important because we need to remember it every step of our journey, why we work to have collaborative relationships, mm -hmm. why we work to make the world better and not worse, because it's so easy to use our words, use our actions to create a negative or even desperately harmful situation. It takes a lot of work to do the right thing and to be kind and to be respectful and to be empathetic when you're dealing with people you may not like or identify with. And so that would be what I would say as a recommendation. Try to pick something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable, read it, watch it, see how it changes your worldview. Oh, that's really a fantastic, fantastic advice. And especially as we're more and more siloed in our in our own worlds and our own ways of thinking with other people who are echoing the same thing. It's such an important to keep in mind, push ourselves out of that comfort zone. So thank you for sharing that. Well, Catherine, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on and to talk to you and to hear all your wonderful stories and really great advice on this very important topic. So thank you very much for, for being here. Well, thank you, Kinga, for the opportunity. It's just been a joy to talk to you, too. Thank you. Thank you.